You can be seated. Today we're going to be talking about just the very first phrase in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is patient. And we need to ask first and foremost, patient according to who? Patient according to who? On the front end, we should note that the patience prescribed to us in this text is not the patience that the, that the man says is patience. It's not patience in the eyes of man. It's patience in the eyes of the Lord. This is, this is a huge distinction for us in our particular moment in the culture where we're living in essentially a post-Christian age where all of the words associated with Christianity are still meaningful and valuable to us, but everyone is using those words as they, own, they see fit in their own unique way. So when we look through this text full of words that we would all say, well, those are important things. Patience is important. Love is important. Kindness is important. Always, 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 always we have to go to definitions and say, well, patience according to whom? Who defines patience? You see, if we use man's definitions for patience, we might really mistake some folks as being more patient than they really are and other folks as being less patient than they really are. I want you to think about this for a minute. Suppose we have one individual who's given their whole life to caring for difficult people, and routinely they go throughout their day dealing with people, say, with disabilities, or various dysfunctions, or significant sins, or significant needs. And so you have this person who's just awash in difficult situations and difficult people and so forth. And then you have another person through some kind of systematic selfishness over a period of years, they've built a life where they don't interact with many difficult people. Okay, so you've got the one person who's sort of wading through neck deep in the needs and dysfunctions and even disabilities and sins of people. And then you've got another person who, through kind of a systematic selfishness, maybe they just believe the Facebook memes that tell them to get rid of all the toxic people in their lives. They've, they've, by the way, if God did that, we would all not be here. So, uh, so, so maybe through some way they've curated a life where they are not exposed to this high degree of need. So you have these two people, and this person over here who's exposed their whole life to the needs and dysfunctions of others. Every once in a while, there's some cracks in her, his or her resolve to be kind or patient or still like you, every once in a while this person is flappable it's not not in a massive kind of life-altering way but every once in a while this person who is swimming in the needs of others they struggle on the other hand you've got someone who has systematically either intentionally or unintentionally made their lives as easy as possible disconnected from the needs and dysfunctions and difficulties of others, and they are never upset. And if we were to look at these two people through the eyes of man, and we would say, well, one of this person who never gets upset, they're the, they're the more patient of the two. It's like, well, no, not at all. They, they, they've, they've, they've isolated themselves from the need to be patient. That's not the same thing as being patient. You could also say that there's, there's the kind of person who, you know, they, they, they deal with human beings, they have relationships with others, but when things get difficult, they simply withdraw. 
They either withdraw relationally or they simply withdraw conversationally. They just don't go into the difficulties with others. And then there's a third kind of person who might have simply no vision for anyone else. And so, you know, who, who's really patient most of the time? My dog. My dog really lets, I mean, it's amazing how much time my dog is happy wasting. He doesn't have an agenda for his life beyond kind of the immediate, right? It's just kind of life is what it is. And so my dog's not patient. He's just okay because he doesn't have an agenda. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have anything he's trying to accomplish or do. So there's another kind of false patience you could see. And then there's another kind of person who is constantly calculating and dancing and, and doing their best to keep everybody on their best behavior, this kind of people-pleasing behavior. And what they're doing essentially is they're doing their best to avoid the difficult situations that would require patience. And then there's the kind of person whose heart is screaming. They just have learned how to really bite down on their tongue. And so you'll never know how impatient this person really is internally. So there's all sorts of potential counterfeits to biblical patience that if we as individuals use our sensibilities to judge the patience of others or even ourselves, we might wind up in error. But if we ask patient according to whom and say, well, I want to be patient in God's eyes and I want to be growing in patience according to God's eyes. Well, God knows all of these factors, right? He knows all of the difficulties. There's this kind of consistent theme in the scriptures where Jesus, at one point he's at the temple and he sees someone give a lot of money and then he sees a widow give a mite, a tiny bit, but it was all she had. And Jesus is celebrating this woman who gave all she had. And all too often, if we use our own sensibilities, we look at virtues like patience and we think, well, this person over here Seems far more patient than this person over here. Meanwhile, this person over here is swimming against a stream, doing battle with many difficulties, and really the fact that they are as patient as they are is surprising and an evidence of grace. And so we let God determine ultimately who is and is not patient, and we use God's lens to view this question through. And that leads us to the next issue. It's like, well, what does God's patience look like? How does God determine patience? How does God determine any virtue? Well, he compares it to himself. So, so what does patience look like according to the Lord? Well, one thing we should say about the patience of the Lord is, is he's not doing any of those things I just described. He's not withdrawn, right? He, he's not... He's not um, He's not inconsistent between his emotions and his actions, so he's not biting his tongue merely. Uh, God doesn't withdraw from difficult situations, from difficult people. He doesn't look the other way when he sees sin. In fact, God is fully aware of all sin, both the sin which has been committed, the sin which has been fought, and the sins of omission, the things people have not done. So we would never say that like all of those little tricks to appear patient that people can get into... God's not doing any of them. God's really patient. He's fully involved in everything. He sees you completely. He sees the world completely and perfectly. He's fully engaged, and he's patient. So that's one thing about God's patience. But here's the, here's the real trick that the Bible presents 
as the way to properly imitate God. This is important. If you want to imitate God, start by imitating his why before you imitate his what. Okay? This is, this is important. Because you can act like God for non-godly reasons. So, so start with the why. Why is God doing this? Why is God, why is God this way? Start with the why. Any Christian virtue that you're trying to grow in, whether it be patience or something else, look to God, see what his uh, expression of that virtue looks like, but then ask, why does he do it this way? And when it comes to God's patience, we can see in the scripture that his patience always has a purpose. God's patience always has a purpose. And to be honest, there are a variety of purposes disclosed in the scripture behind God's patience. For instance, Romans 9.22 says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? But by and large, if you want to understand the main thing the Bible presents as the main why, the main purpose behind God's patience, why is God patient? Well, the Bible says that the main reason, the most consistently presented reason, the most consistent purpose is some kind of redemption. Why is God patient? In order to redeem. So Romans 2.4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, incidentally, here's another place where we see patience and kindness connected. Next week, we're going to talk about kindness. And next week, we'll also see how patience and kindness together are sort of the bare ingredients for love. So here you see patience and kindness connected. But what is God's patience doing in Romans 2.4, it's meant to lead us to repentance. God's purpose behind his patience is redemption. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's the purpose behind God's patience here? Redemption. So I want you to begin to think about how this feels as you pursue patience. What should you be motivated by? Well, one of the things you should be motivated by is redemption, the redemption of the other individual at hand. And here's a good time for me to tell you that when you look at the Greek for the word patience in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it explicitly means enduring difficulties created by others. So this would not be just patience with circumstances or patience with a difficulty. This is specifically enduring hardships created by others. So what do you do when you're in a situation where others are creating a hardship for you, whether it's um, they're texting at a, red or at a green light or something much more severe than that? Well, you should be patient, but why? What's the why behind this virtue? There should be a heart, a general heart of redemption for the other. A heart for the redemption of the other is the basic why behind God's patience. Now, it's safe to say that nobody would be here if God were not patient with sinners. 
I reread some of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and in that message, he imagines a person holding a gross, disgusting, deadly spider over a fire by a single thread. And you, some of you people really hate spiders, so you can imagine. I mean, you'd be too close. You'd be getting too close to the spider. But, but you can imagine the contempt you feel for this spider. And what would you do if you were holding that spider over the fire? Well, you spider haters, you'd drop the spider into the fire. And Edward says that you are more contemptible to God in your sins than this spider is. Your sins disgust God. Apart from Christ, you are an object of wrath, a child of disobedience, who is through your life consistently provoking his justice. And yet God, the one thread that holds you on, the reason why you are not now in hell, the reason why I am not now in hell, the reason why we are alive, Edward says, is because God's patience sustains the sinner just like Second Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but should, that all should reach repentance. So God's patience is what kept us alive so that we could come to Christ and become his child. And if you're here today and you don't have, like you have not been converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the only thing that you've got right now, is God's patience. And of course, after you're saved into a relationship, into being God's son or daughter, you know full well that if you were to sort of pie chart the dynamics at play in God's heart as he deals with you, patience would still figure heavily into your relationship with the Father. He is still very patient with you, and you, you and I should be very glad that he is very patient with us. So God's purpose behind his patience is to redeem people. And then there's another purpose above that that's, 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 that's compatible with it. That's just to bring himself glory. I want you to think about something here, that if God did not have patience, he would not be sovereign. He would not be free. What do I mean by that? Well, if God can be provoked into action because of someone's sin, if God can be provoked and lose control, then God's not free. He's not sovereign. He's not over all things. God's patience is a necessity for his sovereignty. If something in the universe can make, can force God to act, then God's not free. That other thing is the thing in charge of God at that time. So God's patience is actually uh, a signal to the world of his freedom. He is telling the world, this is how sovereign and free I am. I don't have to act in any circumstance. I am never provoked into action. Okay, so that's just a glimpse, just a little snapshot of some ideas about the patience of God. Now I want to talk about some of the benefits behind you and I being serious about pursuing biblical patience. Well, for one thing, your patience can help people 
experience redemption. As, as we said already, if you were saved, you were saved because of God's patience. And as a child of God now, you know God's patience. When you came to faith, God was not only patient with you in some sort of transcendent way, but he was patient with you by putting people in your lives who were patient with you, parents, pastors, whomever, to bring the gospel to you. So one of the cool things about like choosing biblical patience, putting on biblical patience, is that it can lead to others being redeemed. Listen to 2 Peter 2, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. Paul says to Timothy, I think I said 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know, something I learned years ago in, in, a, in a subordinate position where I was serving under other people is that sometimes I would think the person wasn't being very gentle with me. And then I realized later on that I was in far more error than I understood and that I was only getting 10% of the correction that I really had coming to me. I just couldn't have borne all, nine, all 100%. And at the time, the 10% felt harsh to me. And only later did I realize, man, I was so out of place in that instance. This person was being incredibly patient with me and incredibly gentle with me, for they only mentioned 10% of a much greater error and so on and so forth. So again, judging from God's perspective, we have this idea in mind. If I can grow in my patience, then God could use me to help someone turn from their own deception. Also, number two, another reason to pursue biblical patience related is just your patience will just help people see God's character more clearly. And once again, Patience is often presumed upon. We'll talk about this in a moment. So very often, parents, when you show godly patience towards your children, it will take decades before they recognize that they had been seeing the Father. They had been seeing Christ in your patience. It will take them time, but eventually they will understand God's patience more clearly because they saw you in your patience. Here's a third reason to pursue biblical patience, to pursue patience like God's patience. It will keep you free. Listen very carefully. If you want to be free and not driven by your passions, you must become patient. You cannot be easily provoked and be free. I have over the years walked with people who have been caught in a cycle of being triggered and provoked. And if they really looked objectively at their lives, then they would see that the basic plot line of their lives is moving from one grievance to the other. Their whole lives have been steered by reacting to people wronging them. They're not free. Their whole lives are defensive. Their whole lives are reactive. They keep responding 
because they don't have the patience just to endure and do nothing in the short term. I've told this story to a few of you, but a couple years ago, a guy came to the church during the week, and I was actually on my way out the door for a meeting, and he, he was a homeless man, and he said, could you help me stay in a hotel somewhere tonight? And I said, sure, I'm, I can take care of that for you. I can even drive you there, but we got to go right now because I got this other thing to do. It's like, but I can, I can do that. So we're headed up to all the hotels up here. And I said, Super 8 okay? And he said, well, I can't stay at the Super 8. I got in a fight with the guy at the check-in desk and so on and so forth. And I can't stay there anymore. I said, okay, is uh, Motel 6 okay? And he said, well, no, they're always this and that. And I realized, oh, well, we're, we're not just picking a hotel. We're actually discussing the reason you are homeless. This is a man, and this is often the case. And, and if you've worked extensively in that world, you know. These are people who react. It is their reactiveness that drives them into the disaster, often, that they experience. Even their reactiveness, not necessarily just to, like, be wind up homeless tomorrow, but to go from, I've had a bad day, therefore I must engage in drugs or alcohol. It's this need to respond right now. And it essentially means you're not free. Remember how we said just a minute ago that it's God's freedom on display in his patience? If you would like to be free, if I would like to be free, patience is a way to make us more free because we lose enslavement to reacting to other people's stuff. By the way, the funny piece of that is I was at my wit's end with this guy at this point. We couldn't find a hotel that was suitable for him. And finally, I got to the Comfort Inn up there. And uh, the guy at the front desk could totally see me coming from a mile away. And he could tell, he could tell the situation to a T. And he looked at me with a little bit of a smirk on his face and said, we only have one room available, sir. It's the honeymoon suite. It's $200, but it has a hot tub. And I just, like, bit my lip. I said, here. <laughs> and I looked to the guys and enjoy your hot tub. <laughs> totally failed the patience test. <laughs> but you remember how we said that, that really none of us would have a relationship with God if it weren't for patience? Well, in addition to, you know, being free, uh, if you'd like to have friends, real friends, See, there's a, there's a kind of relationship you can have with other human beings that really should be properly called acquaintances or golf buddies. Uh, it's, it's, it's where you're interacting, but none of the real difficulties of interpersonal sin and conflict. and like, You're not actually doing life, per se. You're sort of just walking in tandem. And then when things get hard, that, that's, that's when you don't talk about it. But if you would like friends then patience is a necessity. Just as it is God's patience that sustained our relationship with him and that made that relationship possible. So if you would like to have real friendships, you too will need to own and grow in godly patience. But here's the number five reason, and this one seems to be the most important of all of them, and that is your patience or lack thereof shows your understanding of the gospel. Your patience or lack thereof shows your understanding of the gospel. Look at, uh, it's up on the screen as well, but Matthew 18, 23. 
Jesus tells this parable, and I think it's really worth thinking about as we discuss patience. Matthew 18, verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Not only did he say, okay, I won't sell you, but I'm actually, uh, not, and I'm not only going to give you an extension, which is what the man asked for, I'm going to give you far more than you asked for. I'm going to wipe your debt completely away. But when the servant, verse 28 Jesus is careful to say, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, far less amount, far less. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so this is a parable namely about forgiveness. But where does the forgiveness flow from? The forgiveness flows from the plea for, the need for patience. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I think I'm mostly on the cynical side of hearing the world offer their very sharp criticism for inconsistencies in the church. And it's like, yeah, inconsistencies happen when you say, I have a standard, right? That's, so, so as soon as you tell me what your standard is, we could talk. But on the other hand, in this parable, it should be noted, none of these other servants of this master had their debts forgiven, they were all playing by the rules of the law, so to speak. And they saw this one servant over here who had a credible debt forgiven. And they saw how he behaved, and it offended them so. And dear Christian, it is simply a necessity that you and I be consistent reflectors of God's patience and his mercy. It is simply a necessity because that is who God has been toward us. That is how God has been toward us. So now I want to talk about common problems associated with seeking patience. And the first one is the doormat question. The first problem with patience is that you can be assured, if you pursue godly patience, you can be assured that people will presume upon it. 
you can be assured that if you pursue godly patience, people will take advantage of you. They shouldn't. But you can be sure that that's going to happen because that's what happens to God's patience. And I, I bet you've never taken advantage of God's patience, have you? I bet you've never heard clear call to obey and said, well, maybe I'll think about that, God. So, so Romans 2.4, if you remember, we looked at that text earlier, and it says, do you not presume upon the patience of God? And it's like, yeah, I do. I, I do presume. <laughs> I do. Well, that's, that's, that's just what happens when sinners encounter godly patience. They presume upon it. And so one of the fears when we start talking about executing, about pursuing and implementing and showing Christ-like patience to the world, Christ-like patience to people in our lives, is, well, aren't I just going to be taken advantage of? The answer is yes, you will be taken advantage of. It does not mean, that does not mean the same thing as being a doormat, though. Because the Bible is very clear that you should be consistently, faithfully patient with others, but that sometimes, if the other will not hear you, the dynamic of your relationship can and perhaps should change. So, for instance, that's what Matthew 18 is about. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, and if he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not hear you, go to the elders and and go to another witness and so on and so forth and there's a way to escalate this and at the very end he says and if he still hasn't repented then just treat him like an unbeliever and move on so there's obviously actually ways to deal with this titus 3:10, for instance as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned patience yes Patience that gets taken advantage of, yes. Patience that gets presumed upon, yes. Patience with absolutely no boundaries and no relational reconfiguring, no. See, that's the difference between patience and like enduring abuse, right? It's like, I'm going to be patient, but the rules of our relationship may need to change if you don't repent. Those two things are not in contradiction with one another. Number two, speaking of other things that are not in contradiction, patience is not merely holding one's tongue. If you are just listening to your brother share once again what seems to be a rather transparent, hey, you probably have some sin here, and you just choose not to say anything, that doesn't mean you're being patient. It, it could mean that you're being patient, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Patience is not merely holding one's tongue. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So what does this verse tell us? Well, this verse tells us that we should be patient with everybody in every situation, but that we could admonish people and still be patient with them. This tells us that, it's, that, that admonishment and, and impatience are not the same thing. That you can admonish someone and still be patient with them. Do you see that? And one of the big kind of indicators of patience isn't necessarily the things that we would like to say, but one of the big indicators with patience is I'm here to talk about this again. I'm not just walking off 
and being done with you. I, I, I'm going to share some hard things with you, but I'll be back next week to talk again, and hopefully we can continue this relationship indefinitely. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So holding your tongue is not the same as patience. Many times as Christians, we're called to speak into one another's lives, to engage in exhortation and reproof and rebuke. But we can do all of that either with or without patience. Uh, number three. So I'm saying holding one's tongue is not the same thing as patience, but here's, here's the counterpoint to that. Holding one's tongue is often a necessary precursor to patience. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, biting, holding one's tongue, being patient, two different things. But sometimes you just need to be quiet and wait for a second. Wait for a more op opportune time to speak. Wait until you have a better thing to say. A, better, a more mature and, and formed, a more wholesome, a more perfected thing to say. Let me give you an example. The other day, I was on a walking track. And it's kind of a short track. It, it just loops. And, you know, I mean, being the athlete that I obviously am, I was walking very quickly. And, uh, and But there were these two elderly ladies who were walking shoulder to shoulder, but not shoulder to shoulder. That would have been fine. They were like walking next to each other and they were just barricading the whole, they were hogging the whole track, the whole track. And as you might imagine, they were going pretty slow. Well, I was trying to keep my heart rate up to a certain point and so this, this disparity in speed was gonna become a problem and also, you know, me passing them wasn't really an option most of the time either because they weren't observing the sacred passing lane kind of rule. Now, I have been conditioned from my youth. It, it did not occur to me for a second to say anything to them. Would, just would not be, that's just not me. I would not have, I would never have said anything to them. It was really a question of my heart. In other words, my tongue was going to not be a factor, right? I was not going to yell at them. I was not going to say anything to them. It's just, it's just I would expect God to show up at the door and nuke me if I did that. So there's, that's not going to happen. That's just not in me. My folks hammered that home. But because I was forced to be quiet, I was forced to deal with what was in here. And what, what was in here was the question of patience or impatience, right? Not whether I said something or not. That was step two. Step one was what's in here? Is my heart impatient toward these ladies? And so I realized, you know, they're really pretty cute in their little matching tracksuits. And the one lady brought water bottles to use as hand weights, which was adorable. And they were making an effort to stay healthy. And they were making an effort to be friends. And my walking pace just did not add up to being an equal 
factor compared to that. And so without them ever knowing, of course, because they were oblivious to my presence, I just stopped walking and went over and did something else instead. If for some reason I hadn't had it pounded into me since a little kid, you don't yell at old ladies, which seems pretty obvious, you know. Uh, but, you know, people are weird. If for some reason I hadn't had that pounded into me, and there would be other instances, right, where that would not be my first instinct. My first instinct would be to say something, to be, be vocal. If I had said something, I would never have had a chance to actually deal with what was going on in my heart. So I would say that on the one hand, patience doesn't mean always, forever, never saying anything to anyone. But on the other hand, one of the things that needs to come into play is to understand that self-control and patience are not the same thing. And self-control sometimes is the necessity, the necessary precursor to patience. Think of it this way. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And what I found is that this verse is as true for what's going on in my own heart as it is anyone else's. And so it could simply be, it could also be that a hot-tempered man stirs up strife in his own heart. So sometimes you're feeling frustrated and you can see I am not, I do not have an attitude of patience in my heart right now. Don't talk. Wrong time to talk. Because what you'll do if you speak in that moment, oh, the world has lied to you guys about this so badly. You've been taught like if you don't vent, then it's, then it's uh, you know, what's the word? That's the, what's the Freudian word? Anyway, it, that you're repressing yourself and that's just going to lead to all this toxin. It's like just completely false. You know what happens if you hold that in? You're forced to deal with it, and it can diffuse itself vertically to God in prayer, and you don't, you don't wreck your whole day and your whole relationship and so on and so forth. So you're in this moment where the frustration is there. You're behind the figurative person who's being inconsiderate, whatever. Don't speak. That's the wrong time to speak. Because what's going to happen if you speak in that moment is you're going to stir up strife in your own heart. You're going to give that poison in your own heart permission. And you're going to find yourself having to continually validate what you just said by putting more emotions back into your heart that are so on and so forth. So listen, sometimes wisdom is just listening to someone's hard-earned mistake-driven realizations. And that's what I would tell you right now. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. Just, just believe it. Take it to the bank. When your heart is frustrated, shut up. But that doesn't mean never speak about it. It just means right then, no, don't. Many people misunderstand that self-control is really just I'm going to choose what my mouth does, or I'm going to choose what this or that does. And in this particular area, often just being quiet is a precursor. The other day I had a conversation, and it caught me off guard with my wife. It caught me off guard. I had already taken my melatonin. 
I was feeling groggy. It's like 9.30 or so, you know. It's feeling pretty late for me. It's feeling groggy. And she called. Her and the girls had gotten into some relatively harmless hijinks that, you know, cost a few bucks I didn't see coming. Not going to get into the details, but that was that. And I was like already a little not there, but I felt very aggravated that they had hijinked their way into some money. And I just said, hey, can we not talk about this? I don't think I can do this right or well or something like that. And she was wonderful about it. She could have been a jerk about that, but she's like, absolutely no problem. I texted her a few minutes later. She's like, really love you, um, miss you, so on and so forth. And that was that. And then the next day when my melatonin uh, drugs had worn off, I was able to, we, we had the talk. What you'll find is when you have to do that to people, you have to acknowledge, hey, I can't do this well right now. That's the heart behind impatience is pride. The heart behind impatience is pride. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So when you will just acknowledge that you struggle, or you are struggling, or this is something you're trying to get better at, when you will just insert that into the moment, your pride balloon gets popped and you become a little more capable of patience. And one final observation or tension about putting on patience. Nobody should ever say, I don't have patience for that. Or I don't have patience for that kind of person. Nobody should ever say that without feeling some conviction or sorrow. For when you say that, you are saying, I am not like Christ. And that should bother you. You should want to be like Christ. None of us in this room should ever flippantly, as an excuse, whatever, say, oh, I just don't have patience for that kind of person. Or I just don't have patience for that. No one should ever say that flippantly. No one should ever say that without a sense of sadness. But all of us should say that and know that. In other words, we should know our limitations. Be, when growing impatience, be careful and be realistic. Okay, again, more nuance here, and that's what we're doing with this message because we all kind of have some sense of what patience is, but now we're actually just talking about all the nuances involved. And one of them is, you should leave here today saying, I need to become more patient. I mean, who could not say that? But here's another warning that I've earned with my own error um, that the Lord has taught me is when you are working in an area, and guys, this, this would appear to purity, appeal to purity, every uh, diet, everything you can think of. When you're growing in an area, you, there is a temptation to think you've grown more than you really have. And to allow yourself to be in a, an environment of temptation that is above your current capacities to deal with. There was, an, there was a joke I saw the other day. It was online where a guy said, my dad used to take a lot of walks. And it always kind of, I just never really understood why he took so many walks. And now I have kids of my own, and I just want to thank my dad for not killing us. It's like his strategy was to take walks. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such that it's common to man. And God is faithful, and he will provide a way of escape. 
Sometimes the right thing to do at a certain point is to say, I think this is the point where I need to, in the short term, remove myself from this situation. Not in some kind of long-term selfish strategy where you avoid hardships because you never want to lose patience. But there are moments where you need to be aware of yourself and say, this seems like a moment where I am being tempted to, to lose patience, and I don't trust my abilities right now to be as patient as I should be. So, you know, the truth is, is I've already been actually really patient today with a bunch of other things. I might have run out. I need to, I need to take a, a moment to withdraw. I need to take a moment to step away. What you're doing in that moment, again, is acknowledging I am not what I should be. I'm not what I want to be. But if I can continue to obey God faithfully and continue to try to become a more patient man or woman, then, then I, I trust that over time this is going to get better. Okay, let's, let's end by just asking this question. Where do I get patience? How, how do I become more patient? Friend, if you are in Christ, it is yours already. Think of the absolute... <laughs> Ocean's too small of a word. Think of the absolute galaxy uh, of patience God has that he would have to have in order to be God. That's all yours. You get like a pipe just right into that ocean. It's all yours. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that's what the Bible says. You have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So where do you get patience? Well, this is sort of like an average uh, Saudi Arabian citizens saying, where, where, where would one get oil? Man, like by virtue of your citizenship, it is absolutely yours. You have access to all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You have access to God's unlimited patience. Second Peter says that you have everything you need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises. So it's there, and here's how you get it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, right? Here's what you, here's, here, I will tell you exactly what to say to God. This will be the closest to a script I ever give you. God, please give me the patience you have toward me so that I can apply it toward fill in the blank. Ask the Lord for the same patience he had toward you has toward you. God, please give me the same patience you have toward me. The same patience that walked, uh, that didn't destroy me in my sin. The same patience that didn't forsake me. The same patience that did not just open up an infinite amount of wrath upon my head. The same patience which now, even today, listens to my imperfect, scatterbrained prayers. The same patience that is with me when I repeat the same sin I swore I would never do again last week. And the same patience. Lord, give me your patience so that I can give it to someone else. And then you could say, Lord, your purpose for your patience with me was to redeem me. Lord, would you, would you please use my patience in this person's life to help them either to be redeemed and saved or to be carried forward in their walk with Christ. Remember to ask God, give me your why 
not just the what. I want, I want your patience, but I also want the purpose behind your patience. And of course, God's purpose behind his patience is presented before us today at this table, which is the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ poured out on our behalf so that we could become sons and daughters of God. God's patience is here for you to taste and see today. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you should come and think of that giant ocean full of God's patience towards you and say, oh my goodness, Lord, how unfailing is your steadfast love, your steadfast, patient kindness toward me. And if you need to, if you need to confess to the Lord, I am not, I am not Christ-like in this area. I've got a lot of growing to do. I have a lot of growing to do before I can say I'm a patient man or woman. Well, you come up here and you look at this and you say, and you will help me, Lord. You will help me. You will help me become a more patient man or woman. And he will. That's, he died to make this possible. But if you're here today and like you don't know if you're his, listen, don't presume upon the patience of God forever. You don't just get infinite opportunity to respond to him. The day is coming when there will be no more opportunity to respond to him. And so today, call upon the name of the Lord and you may be saved. Put your hope, your whole hope, all your hope in the fact that Jesus has come and died for you so that you can be his son or daughter. And then you come, you pray that before you come. You come and you say, Lord, this, this cup represents your blood that was poured out for me. And this bread represents your body, which was given up for me. And I take this in remembrance of you. So why don't you come today and participate in the Lord's table? Let me pray.